0: This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. As the kids are making their way to their classroom, uh, I would encourage you to pick up a Bible uh, and turn with me to Luke chapter 21 have the privilege of continuing through the book of Luke today. Our passage is in Luke chapter 21, and we will begin reading in verse 20 and read through verse 28. Luke 21, 20 through 28. Hear the word of the Lord. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let them who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near.
1: Good morning, church. As you uh, have your Bibles open, we'll be referencing Luke 21, the text that just was read, read from verses 20-28, um, and I would just draw your attention to verse 7 of that same chapter is, what you're going to see today is Jesus is actually answering this question. Notice verse 7. And they asked Him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You and Lord, um, we admit that we live in a difficult time. We live in a time of wars and rumors of wars. We live in a time of conflict and hostility. We live in a time of struggle. And Lord, we know that that struggle is not just outside of us, but that struggle is within us. Temptation, wars against our spirit, and the old man, the flesh, seeks to battle us, Lord. And we pray that we would have a hungering and a longing and a thirsting for that glory which is to come. We pray that our eyes would be fixed on heaven, that our minds would be fixed upon the glory of the revealed Son of God. A time that is promised when there will be no more weeping, no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. And God, as our eyes are fixed there, may You truly be our chief delight. Lord, we know there are many in our midst that are struggling in a variety of ways. We pray, Lord, for those who are struggling physically. We pray, Lord, for those who are battling uh, illness. Many have um, doctor appointments and treatments that are staring them in the face. And God, I pray that you comfort them, that you would guide them, that you would minister to them in their hour of need. Lord, we know that you are the great physician, and so we go to you for help. As you are not only the carer of our soul, you are the very creator of our being. And so, Lord, we pray that we would look to you for true healing. That we would recognize it is your hand that ultimately fixes what is wrong. Lord, we know there are some in our midst that are struggling with depression and anxiety and fear. God, we pray that you would comfort them in this very moment, this very time. That their eyes would be removed from the things that concern them to the joy that awaits them in the person and work of Jesus. We pray that that would bring a great comfort and peace. And Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with sin. You know, there are many who are still tempted by things from the past. There are still some who feel... Shackled or even bound by temptation and sin, the guilt, the shame. And yet, Lord, we know that Scripture declares that we are freed in Christ. I pray that our brothers and sisters would experience that freedom. I pray that they would experience the freedom that only Christ can provide. And so, Lord, as a congregation, we come broken, struggling, warring, to come and we sit your word today and we ask you to minister to us through your spirit. We pray that you would unblock our ears, that you would unblind our eyes, that you would soften our hearts. God, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed and made more and more in the image of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray from my mouth that... I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but, God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. And I pray, God, that you would use me for your glory and you would use us as a church as your witness and testimony in this city and community and around the world. Lord, we pray for sister churches and we pray for pastors who are fulfilling the pulpit today. We pray for those who sit in the churches and the pews. And, Lord, we pray for our neighbors who haven't darkened the doorway of a church in a long time, we pray that the Gospel would go forth and that You would use us as Your ambassadors, as Your witnesses, and that, Lord, the hope of Christ would be known before it is too late. We pray this now in Jesus' name. In God's people's name, Amen. Last week, I opened by quoting Winston Churchill. This was a quote that actually took place in 1942 when ultimately we saw the victory or he saw the victory of his um, forces against Rommel there in the desert. This is the famous quote that Winston Churchill said. Now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. It's this quote that I wish to etch in your minds regarding our text. The end of the beginning and the beginning of the end. And I said that pivot between the two takes place in 70 A.D. Last week we explored why. We explored the end of the beginning. We dealt with how the coming of Jesus inaugurated the promise of the new covenant. What all of the, of the prophets pointed to as a glorious day. We saw how the fall of the temple marked a clear end Of the old way of the covenant of grace. No longer would sacrifices be made. We saw how the fall of the temple marked judgment as the people worshiped the sign but ignored what the sign pointed to. They were ignoring Christ, they were ignoring the true temple of the Lord, bringing judgment. Yet this week, we see how that same event in 70 A.D., the fall of the temple, marks the beginning of the end. And with this, we see the movement towards the full consummation of an era when Christ returns and all things are made new. Friends, I ask you to look at your text in the Scriptures, and as I stated in verse 7, we read these words, and they asked Him, Teacher, when will these things be? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Jesus answers that question in our text this morning, beginning at verse 20. Notice the words that are the precursor to verse 20. But when you see, when you see these things, Jesus is saying, what things? Notice what he says Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Then you know that its desolation has come near when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. Jesus is pointing to an event that would take place in a future time from Him some 40 years later. Jesus is pointing to 70 A.D. He's pointing to that event as God's judgment. Why? Because the people had rejected Christ. They were exchanging again the sign for what the sign really signified. They would rather have the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Rather than having truly Christ. And so Jesus is saying this event will happen when Jerusalem is surrounded. This will be the beginning of the end. And so, 70 A.D., the fall of the temple, marks the beginning of the end. Not just the end of the beginning. It's not just the end of the old era. It's not just the putting away of sacrifices. But it actually marks the beginning to Christ's return. A new era of judgment for all those who reject the Christ that has come. The details are now given. We move on and we read in verse 21, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let those who are out in the country not enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. You see, Jerusalem was surrounded by armies. The specific army that they were surrounded by was the army of Rome. And this took place in 70 A.D. The historian Josephus goes to great details to tell us the accounts. He tells us that after several long months of siege in which the people faced f- severe famine, finally the Romans invaded. And invading the city, they burned the temple. They took captive and killed Almost every woman and child. And what does Josephus say about this event? He says this event marked God's anger being poured out as judgment. Friends, this event in 70 AD is what Jesus was referring to. This idea of the day of vengeance, verse 22. To fulfill what was written. What was he referring to? Jesus is referring to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 and 16 which generally says this if you will not obey my voice if you will not obey the voice of the Lord then cursed you will be in your city judgment will come upon you and Jesus is saying that will happen and we look back and it did happen Jesus offered a picture of that devastation talking about women who were pregnant and were nursing, how horrible it would be in that day. He talks in great detail about the captives being led away to the other nations and many falling by the edge of the sword. All of this handing happening at the hands of the Gentiles, verse 24. And again, the historian Josephus says, it happened. Jesus is again proven as an accurate and true prophet. But he's more than a prophet. Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is in fact the Messiah to whom these individuals rejected and God brought his judgment. And yet notice Jesus gives instructions to his disciples regarding this 70 AD happening. He says in verse 21, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In verse 21 he continues, let those who are inside the city depart from it. He goes on to say, anyone who's not in the city but in the country, don't come to the city. This is a stark contrast to what you would usually expect in those day and age. Those outside the city would usually run to the city for protection, for safety, as for defense. But not here. Jesus is actually telling His disciples don't run to the city for safety. The opposite is true. Run from the city. He's telling His disciples what to expect in the judgment and what they should do is to flee. Notice Jesus never said He was going to take His disciples from that, but through that experiencing, they were to run from it. Run to the hills church i ask you the call that jesus is making he's making a serious warning to all but the question is this do we listen do we hear his warning of the judgment for those who reject the christ verses 25 through 27 we're told of a time of reckoning as well as a time of redemption in verses 25 through 27, we read this And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations, in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and the forbearing of what is to come in the world. This is a picture of not what would take place in 70 AD, but a picture of the future reckoning that God's judgment would bring. See, Jesus predicted a judgment that did take place, but Jesus also prophesied of a future judgment. Jesus was talking about an already event and a not yet event. We would do well to remember what the theologians teach us, constantly telling us of the, of the double meanings within Scripture, of an already and not yet. 70 AD serves as a reminder of the judgment that we will face if we are not in Christ, if one rejects Christ. It talks about the judgment that is yet to happen. We're not standing alone. Church history has forever spoke of this. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon, that prince of preachers. He says, The siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple serves as a kind of rehearsal for what will be he's saying what took place in 70 a.d serves as a rehearsal of the ultimate judgment that will come when jesus returns the point is we do well to listen to jesus the one who is faithful and true jesus offers warning about the future day of a reckoning a reckoning of judgment He talks in great detail about the signs. Listen to verse 25. The sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth the stress of the nations and perplexities because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. He seems to talk about the the signs that are up there, the signs that are down here, the signs that are in the sea, the signs that are all around us of the judgment of God. People fainting with fear, he talks about in verse 26. For threatening that is coming upon the world. Notice the fainting. The people faint with fear because they don't understand what's taking place. They're overwhelmed by what they see and what they experience. And yet they shall see something that will not leave them wondering. Look what it says in verse 27. They shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. And notice how he's adorned in power and with great glory. This is clear that when he comes, all will recognize him. None will be left wondering, who is he? What is he doing? This will be abundantly clear, but the problem is, it will be too late. Here, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. It says that I saw the heavens open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And his name is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress and the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh were written this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, when Jesus comes a second time, He does come with power and glory. But it's not like when He came the first time. When He came the first time, He came humbly as a servant, a baby to to save. The second time Christ comes, He comes to judge. Notice the language in verse 27. He's referred to as the Son of Man. Where is this language found? It's found in Daniel's prophecy where Daniel talks about the victorious one. The one who comes with victory. The one who comes to bring judgment. Friends, the wrath of God is nothing to be ignored. As Revelation 19 puts before us, we're to take God's word serious for Jesus has been faithful and true. He has fulfilled all that He said He would come and do. We would be foolish not to believe that He will come again and bring judgment with Him. Friends, today is the day of salvation. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that today is the day to repent and believe, for when he arrives, it will be too late. For this world, this event means judgment. For the world, this event means a reckoning. But for the church, this same event, Jesus returning with power and glory, means redemption. It means redemption jesus assures his disciples of that redemption look at verse 28 he says now when these things take place or when they begin to take place he calls them to straighten up to raise their heads why because your redemption is drawing near relief has arrived notice this idea of straightening up and raising your heads what was the reaction of the world they feared they trembled but not the believer. The believer is encouraged to straighten up. Uh, The the believer is encouraged to to lift his head, to take take focus on the glory of the One who comes because He comes to save. To save His church. To bring justice to the world, yes, but to bring salvation to His people. Pastor Lincoln Duncan points this out. and He points this out. In a comparison that is seen between Revelation, the last three chapters, and Genesis, the first three chapters. Listen to the comparison that is seen between the beginning of the Bible and the very end of the Bible. Again, look at the comparison that is there and the hope that we see in it. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told of the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Revelation 21 we're told of the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis 1, we're told of the great luminaries that control the rhythms and the order, the sun and the moon. In Revelation 21, we're told that there is a world with no sun or no moon, for God and the Lamb will be the light to their people. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told of the paradise lost. In Revelation chapter 22, we're told of the paradise restored in genesis chapter 3 we're told of a crafty devil but in revelation chapter 20 we're told of a devil condemned in genesis chapter 3 we see fellowship broken with adam because of his sin but in revelation 21 we see fellowship restored because of a savior who came in Genesis 3, we see access to the tree of life denied as an angel is put over the entrance to the garden. But in Revelation 22, access to the tree of life whose leaves are for healing the nations is restored. John is deliberately in the book of Revelation at the very end telling us the story is complete. Everything that was lost is regained this is the promise of redemption this is the salvation that jesus provides to the church the future glory of redemption that john points to which jesus speaks of hasn't even been experienced by the saints who have departed from this life to heaven yet for what is pictured here is yet future What is pictured here is when Jesus makes His revelation known and we will all experience it once together. What a beautiful picture of the great celebration, the marriage supper, which will take place. The question is, do you know of that final redemption? The question is, are you trusting in Christ? Are you believing Are you resting in the one who is faithful and true? See, that's Jesus' point to the disciples of this time, our time. He's saying it's time to wake up. A dear believer, it's important that we're not petrified with fear, but that we are people of hope, people with confidence, people who are faithful. We must always remember that this is not our home. We must remember that ultimately Christ comes back to bring a new heavens and a new earth. For the believer, Christ's return is not a day to be petrified of, but a day of victory. Not a day of dread, but a day of joy. For the believer, Christ's return is a day that we all should be longing for and hoping for. How many of us, when we read the picture of of revelation 21 don't get excited when we hear of a day with no more weeping no more pain no more suffering no more death as it's depicted there it is to give us joy hope we replace our faith in the one who provides all of those things see jesus is calling the disciples he's calling us Check yourselves. Are you truly believing? If then, straighten up. He says, don't be afraid. Lift up your heads. How often many in the church walk around like Eeyore. When in reality, we should rock around really like Pooh Bear. Just looking for honey. Enjoying the life God has given us knowing there's so much more. church the call is to wake up our own confession of faith states this i want you to listen to this comes from westminster chapter 28 section 3 it says as christ would have us to be certainly persuaded notice that language as christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment both to deter all men from sin and for the greater consolation of the godly in the adversity. To be persuaded. Persuaded that judgment is on its way. But this should not make us afraid if we are in Christ. This should actually offer us hope. It should offer us peace in knowing that we are found in Christ. And Christ went to the cross to take all of the judgment we deserve. So all we get now is the joy of being in Christ. Yes, it's true, for those outside of Christ, there is only judgment. But for the believer, the one who is in Christ, there is joy. And so we should say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Who doesn't want that joy? But it forces us to have a time of introspection. Am I more fearful or am I more hopeful? Am I a longing for the return of Christ or do I long for the things of this world? Which is it? Who are you? What does your heart expose? Dr. Eric Alexander says there are basically two ways to respond. When we see the signs of judgment, we can either respond with fear, which marks us as those who are outside of Christ, or we can be marked with hope as those who are in christ he says remember that these are the birth pains presenting the groanings when he refers to the birth pains there he's referring to matthew 24 verse 8 where jesus talked about the grumblings and the groanings and the pains of this world are but birth pains of something that is yet coming friends it's like a struggling butterfly trying to make its way out of a cocoon a man happens to see this butterfly in the cocoon struggling and thinks he'll try to help. So he takes out his little pocket knife and he makes the slit on the, on the cocoon just a little bit wider, a little bit easier for the, the butterfly to come out. But when he does this, all it exposes is a deformed creature now left to die. See, the man learned an important lesson that day. He learned that the struggle actually helped form the creature the struggle actually helps form the creature church we live between the first coming and the awaiting of the second coming we live in a time of struggle and according to romans 8 our glorification is secured but it comes through the process of sanctification it comes through the struggle of this life Much like that butterfly being formed, the struggles we face now are forming us more and more in the image of Christ. This is a good thing, for it's preparing us for the glory that is to come. There's no easy way around it. Every struggle, every heartache, every difficulty only forces us to look up and say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus question is are we longing for this city here or the city which is yet to come are we longing for what we have now or are we truly looking for what will be we must remember that god is directing everything and moving everything towards the full revelation of his son a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess And that's why John writes, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. The glorious one is coming soon. May we say in a hearty, unified fashion, amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. May that be our heart. May that be our desire. May we truly long for what is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that this day and age in which we live is difficult. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's there's flooding. There's disasters. There's hatred. There's violence. And yet, Lord, we know that all of these things are but birth pains. They're used to form us. Through the work of the Spirit and the Word, we are formed more and more into that beloved image of Jesus. And so, Lord, we know that the promise of judgment, while it scares the world, should actually bring us hope. For Jesus has taken the judgment for us already. May our confidence be in Him. May our joy be in Him. And may we say with the historic church, come quickly, Lord Jesus. May our eyes be fixed on what is yet to come and may our joy be found in the one whom that coming reveals. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.
0: Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.